Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so Mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, episode 190. I hope you've had a great week out there. I hope you've been uh, you know, doing something positive, having uh, having a good time. This, I think this last week, I've, I've seen a couple of friends. It's been really interesting to have those conversations about kind of what are you happy with, what do you feel safe with, what are you comfortable with. And um, yeah, it's a bit weird conversation. I'm not sure, is this something we're going to carry on doing or are we going to get to a stage where everyone has the same level of comfort or... All the guidance is clear i don't know um yeah it's been interesting it's been really good to have some of those conversations and um really nice to be able to have open conversations as well and, and um have really understanding friends when I'm, when I'm talking and sort of saying oh i'm not sure I don't, I don't really feel comfortable with that yet so um yeah it's been a it's been a good week um this week uh, we've got another new guest for the podcast so i'm delighted to uh, to introduce you guys to mark who's going to be joining us today from educate me um it's it's gonna be an interesting discussion i think it was really nice to just kind of just sit back and have a chat with mark really so we're going to talk through a little bit about uh, mark's work with educate me with uh being a wellness coach but also some well-being tips and tools um and some of the stuff that goes on we well some of our own experiences really around being males and having had um i would say there's similarities in our experiences with um with mental health illness and yeah it was really good just to kick back to to have some conversations um and i think we we kind of came to to the point i i felt like by the end it's just we kept on saying education 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 it's such a big thing when we're talking about mental health when we're talking about well-being um, when we're talking about mental health illnesses in particular um education is such a big thing uh, and while that has improved slightly um, there's still a long way to go and it's really interesting to hear some of mark's insights um get a bit of a glimpse into to some of the things he does and as yeah as always i think probably for me one of the best things about the podcast is it's being able to have the the variety in guests that come on that share their experiences and those of you that have listened all the way through will have seen some of those similarities in some stories and some really stark differences in in others as well and i think we kind of touch upon this in in our discussion but it the value in having people share their stories their experiences is so so huge so a big thank you to to mark for coming on sharing his experience and some really interesting insights to to mental health to mental illness to our general well-being as well so really interesting to hear the uh, the things that he does as a wellness coach um, and definitely something i think that would be an interesting kind of talking point moving forward i don't know 
about any of you listening but i've seen a couple of um people become lifestyle coaches and uh well-being coaches wellness coaches in the last i don't know couple of months i'd say i've seen a few people and i know regular listeners will know that when we do the mega cast we have matt and wes come on and um matt has has long been uh uh uh, i think he's a life coach um it's really interesting to hear insights from people that do this a little bit more as a profession that encourage and support people with a service so i really hope you guys enjoy this episode and the insights that we have from mark so i'm going to leave you to the episode now as always if you want to find out more you can do that over at mikesopenjournal.com thank you so much for listening and i'll see you soon Hi Mark, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's really good to, to sit down with you on what is a surprisingly warm day here actually. Um, but yeah, how, how have you been for the, the last week or so? What's your last week been like? Funnily enough, today was quite a big day. I uh, committed to going back into the office. Oh wow. Uh, I have to be honest, it was kind of nervy, kind of anxiety making, having yeah. been effectively working from home for like four or five months. So it was quite a big day, <laughs> but it was fine. Oh, awesome! I think I've I've been in twice to um, move some stuff around in the office, um, but we're yeah we're not rushing back. And in fact, I'm probably going to be rem- moving to remote working for right. at least the next six months. Wow. Okay. Um, so we are uh, one of the buildings that we have um the building that i'm in is just it's it's not a very nice building and it would never be covid safe um <laughs> so it's quite nice actually because like oh, i can stick with flexible working and then hopefully there'll be somewhere nicer to go back to later on but that's quite a big change and a big shift so well it is and it's all it's not as familiar as i thought it was <laughs> <laughs> oh but it feels good and you feel positive about it oh yeah definitely it's well I'm starting to see more one-to-one clients. That's what it is. And as, as we were just discussing earlier, it means I'm moving away from Zoom. Yes. Mm. Which is a good thing. Yeah. Both the beauty and the horror of Zoom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. we're kind of leading in a little bit there to, to some of the work that you do, Mark. It'd be interesting just to hear kind of a little bit about kind of who you are and, and, and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I... My, my background is very corporate, actually. I used to work in international marketing, so a lot of travel and that sort of thing. And uh, to cut a long story short, I was struggling with pretty severe stress for about four years, ignored it, uh, bottled it, uh, got signed off once by the doctor for a month, put my feet up and then went straight back into the same old rigmarole. And cut a long story short, had a breakdown, full-blown breakdown about 20 years ago um and was just flattened it, it, it at the time it seemed to come out of nowhere but n- no it didn't <laughs> yeah i was just mm. ignoring all the signals um <clears throat> and to some degree being the man you know putting up with it i can deal with this uh until i found i couldn't deal with it um and so uh i come from a family that doesn't do medication unless it's absolutely essential so I made the decision to fight my way through it, which isn't, by the way, necessarily what I'd recommend because it's hard. However, <clears throat> um, I, I, I'm very curious by nature and I wanted to know what the hell was going on in my head. I couldn't, you know, I, I knew the problem wasn't out there in reality in life. It was it all in my head, but I didn't know what was going on. Uh, and so I just decided to work through it. And the more I worked through it, the more I started to read books on how the mind works, the more I suddenly realised, oh my God, this is it. This is what I'm here for. This is my calling. Um, And I went away and got trained in coaching, uh, in NLP, uh, Neuro Linguistic Programming, for your listeners who might not have come across it. It's basically neuroscience. I I tend to describe that as the art and the science of how the mind works. Mm And then I also got trained in hypnotherapy, which is quite an unusual one, but it's actually key to where I am now, because that's all about how the unconscious part of our mind works. Um, so just to complete my sort of story, my career, I set up my own uh, psychotherapy practice about 
19, 20 years ago. And in that time, I've seen nearly 3,000 people uh, and helped them, most of them, beat stress, anxiety and depression. So that is kind of my my world, if you like, is stress, anxiety and depression. Um, and two things, actually, relatively recently, in the last sort of five years ago, uh, or so, one is my customer base, my client base, has very suddenly become young people. Not not through any choosing of mine. Yeah. It's, it's gone from like maybe 10% of my client base about five years ago to about 60 or 70% now. And to be honest, that scares the you-know-what out of me. Mm. Uh, I think it's a sign of what we've got coming. I think without at this point going into too much detail about that, I think... You know, the youngsters have no certainty in their life. And, you know, I'm 60. I, you know, I'm at the tail end of the boomers. And, yeah, we, we kind of had, if not not a job for life, we kind of had a career for life, mm-hmm. uh, which, <laughs> as in my situation, didn't always work. But, you know, we knew that we were reasonably safe in having a career. Might chop and change two, three, four times. And I'm afraid the youngsters haven't got that. And the world for them is very uncertain. And part of what they've got to do is learn how to deal with that. Because that's the way yeah. it's going. I think uh, that's really interesting because I would say, yeah, I've got um, I've got friends that are a little bit older than me. I've got family as well that very much grew up with that. But you say you might change employer, but yeah. you're not going to change your kind of your job or your your career and then I remember coming through and being told it was it was very kind of off the cuff comment that really stuck with me that was um they said your 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 parents would have had jobs for life they would have worked somewhere for 40 50 60 years and that's it um and he said you you won't have that you will have projects you will do something for five years then you will leave or move and then you'll go and do something else and that was always a really positive message I think for me to have that confidence to go okay something's changing and that's okay because we do projects um but I I do wonder whether like you say for younger people now is it just you are going to have to do whatever you can find um I, I don't I really don't know I think up until up until this year I think I probably would have been oh well I would have been much more positive but I think it just feels very uncertain at the moment so I think it's it's seeing what messages they're receiving I actually I think potentially it's really positive actually mm. and the reason is I think and it's already happening I think more and more of their generation are going to be self-employed they're actually going to be setting yeah. up their own businesses so you know Teaching entrepreneurism, or whatever the mm. word, is absolute, and there's not enough of it. That that is critical, and one of the reasons for that, obviously, is the internet. You know, when, yeah. when I was in marketing, and the, the old adage was that you know, and I used to do TV ads and stuff. We knew we were spending millions of pounds. You know, 30 years ago, we knew that half of our budget was completely wasted, but we didn't know which half. Mm. Now, the internet's changed all that. You, if you, you know, if you've got to be really silly and say, like, you know, on the planet there's 4,000 people that would like my product. Well, if they're on the internet, you could well get hold of them. So marketing has fundamentally changed, which means, you know, I think the power to set up your own business. Um, and reach people, like-minded people, is there at a, at a level it just wasn't there 20, 30 years ago. So I don't think it's all bad news. Mm. I, I think the problem is that the education system hasn't changed and is not allowing for that. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's really interesting. And I think I can see I can see that, like you say, being um, more self-fulfilling almost. It's, it's yeah. your idea. You take that opportunity well, of seeing that come the, through. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you do what you love, you'll never work at a day in your life. Ah, oh, I feel like I might have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's one of those you've like, maybe heard, but never known where it's come from. Well, I, I couldn't tell. I think it's actually anonymous, but it's sort of a Chinese problem. Oh. The point being is, do what you, because I am, you know, when I get into schools and, and do talks and so on in mm. school, I'm always asked for career advice and it. It's really simple. For God's sake, do something you love. Yeah. 
And at that age, don't worry about the money because you haven't got any, you haven't got a mortgage, you haven't got any mm. kids. Just do what you love and the money will find you. I think what's it? it's that one and the um it's something like for work find is it find your dream or spend your time building someone else's or something like that yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not, obviously yeah. It isn't exactly that but yeah it's that if, if this is some find something you want to do exactly. otherwise you'll just be kind of following somebody else and well, you see that's we didn't do that and i think that's why our generation have the, the massive mental health issues that we have is because we paid no attention to what it was we were doing mm. all we were interested in was earning money yeah five day uh, career that's the career you're going to do that's it and and that's why so many people trained as accountants lawyers and actually didn't really enjoy the job and piled out of it mm. um because they just our, our, you know we were literally brought up to focus on the money and mm. as we all know money doesn't necessarily make you happy yeah yeah doing what right. you though does i think um there's one point in there as well that side of when you're talking about the communication that's grown in our kind of connected world now um kind of you mentioned something that i would say i've got a, a similar experience of that kind of the, the male identity and and that being a yeah. difficult thing when you're coming into um some of these issues around mental health illnesses and certain symptoms um it'd be interesting to hear whether you think over time has that changed at all slightly a lot um in regards to now we have better communication and more people are sharing their experiences does that kind of identity that i need to be the provider i need to be big and strong and does that still exist now, uh, do you know i unfortunately i think that part of mental health has barely been touched um i feel very strongly about it actually because a lot of the young lads i see they still have this but you know and when i see girls and women generally they're much more open and ready to talk about their mental health issues for boys and blokes it's still there's such a stigma um and in fact i've contributed a chapter to a book called boys do cry and it was 12 men just talking through their story and, and the other you know the, the reading the stories wow and it's this whole thing where men are still to some degree brought up boys still today you know pull yourself together man come on you know and whether we like it or not there is a difference in most families to how boys and girls are brought up and in this respect there shouldn't be um and boys should be allowed to cry it's a function of the human system you know and, and i think if we bottle everything up which is what blokes are told to do that's why we get you know I can't remember what the stats are, but it, we, there's something like twice the number of men commit suicide as women. There's a reason for that. Mm, you know? I think it's, yeah, I think for me, and again, this is a, it's, it's obviously our personal opinions, I think, but for me, a big thing is the communication. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I always bring it back to it in my head. I'm like, I remember at school, where you have kind of males that are very much oh you can't be seen to like be too friendly with anyone because you're, you're kind of stiff and strong and and that's it and then um a lot of the the girls that would have been in my club would be writing notes to each other that would be yeah. quite affectionate to each other and i think while a lot has changed in the world i think you're right is i would imagine from some of the youth work that i've done a lot of that is still very much the same um and we, we're not really seeing those changes so I, I kind of have that in my mind and um the the kind of the idea that when we talk about mental health and particularly mental health illness that while it is getting more coverage and we are having more conversations which is great it's often in a general sense like let's talk about depression let's not talk about my experience we'll talk about it in a general and I, I worry sometimes that it is that oh we've made the topic acceptable but not people's stories yeah and it's the stories that make the difference fundamentally it's people sharing their stories that makes it's everything in terms of mental health actually is you know when when you're talking and you're open about the problems you've had uh, and you're talking to somebody who's struggling, it automatically there's a connection. Yeah. 
because mm. precisely because most people are hiding it you know they're not talking about it or if they are it's a generic sort of conversation it's increasingly we've got to start sharing our stories we have to mm. that's the only way really to break down the stigma mm. it's a challenging thing to do when society sort of frowns at it yeah, it You've is. You've got really to be a bit of a maverick at the end of the day. Yes, yeah, and it is interesting because I think mavericks by nature are sort of either you are really on board with that or it pushes you away, and that kind of then doesn't always help with going actually more. We need more people to be like this. We need more people to share their stories and their experiences. Do you know, I, I tend to have very strong views about this but uh, I think the problem is we don't really understand what mental health problems actually are um, you know stress anxiety and depression which is mainly my field and to be honest that is I couldn't put a percentage on it but it's probably 75 percent of mental health issues come down to stress anxiety and depression um, then in my view they're not mental illnesses stress anxiety and depression are not mental illnesses they're signals from our system going, oi, mate, your life's not working. Stand back, have a look and change something. But actually, that's not what we do. We bottle it, we hide it. Uh, and then what happens is inevitably, when we, you know, when we sort of turn in on ourselves, we go into self-doubt, self-flagellation, beating ourselves up. And that's when it becomes a mental health issue. If, if we took the signal from the system, said, oi, mate, you know, anxiety, there's something you're worried about, deal with it, do something, make the anxiety go away. And that is the only way to, you know, you you have to face up to anxiety at the end of the day, but you've got to know what's making you anxious. Yeah, that's really interesting. The problem is we don't understand, um, and really coming back to my story very quickly, Yeah, that's the other change over the last five years. It suddenly dawned on me, it took me 15 years to realise, it suddenly dawned on me, I'm not actually a therapist. Um, I'm a coach, a teacher and a coach. So I teach people how their mind works, how they're creating their reality on a second by second basis. Um, and then I coach them through actually finding out how they're doing that. So my, my upfront sessions with, the one, you know, one to one is I'm teaching people through a couple of models that I've developed over the last 20 years as to how the mind works. Well, for example, 91% um, of our mind is unconscious. So 91% of how we create our reality on a moment-by-moment -moment basis is unconscious. And how much do we know about our unconscious? Zippo. Nothing. <laughs> because we've never been sat down and guided through it. So mm. I suddenly realized oh, that's what I've got to do. I've got to help people understand how the 91% of their mind is working, how that, that part... So all of the beliefs um, that we're running in the background, all the unconscious programs. But then there's also things like one of the biggest filters that we filter the information through is our values. What's important to us in our life? And actually, most people don't know what their values are. Uh, we need and, that, and that's again, that's the sort of coaching side is helping people work out what their their top 10 values are, because that's mm -hmm massive filter and how we create our reality um and the other thing is it's if ever the, <laughs> if ever there was a magic bullet for mental health and there isn't one of course the nearest thing to it would be self-esteem and again self-esteem is not something that we explore and in fact most people completely confuse it with self-confidence the problem is you can be confident in your ability to do something and still think you're Crap, sorry. Mm. I didn't yeah, that's fine. swear, by the way. Um, that's fine. It's, I, you know, I was climbing the corporate ladder quite successfully, but I thought I was utterly useless. Uh, it's what in that world is called imposter syndrome. Mm. You know, I, I, there's no way I should have been climbing the corporate ladder. There's no way I should have been making TV ads in multiple languages. I wasn't good enough to do that. Uh, and I honestly believe that, even though in reality that isn't what was happening. Um, and, and the one person we can't get away from is ourselves. So if at some level we don't like who we are, and, and by the way, 28% of young people self-loathe, not only are they not comfortable with who they are, they actually hate themselves, that completely colours how we create our reality, how our 
world actually exists. Um, so the self-esteem thing is absolutely huge. It's yeah, it's really interesting. I think there's a couple of points there that almost go back to something we were talking about with the with the comms and the entrepreneurship. Is it's these things that really feed into your it's more than identity your identity your being yourself yeah, are things that aren't taught and also things that um being a bit judgmental are generally not spoken about kind of within peer groups or within families especially to males of who are you what do you like what don't you like yeah. what do you value um and I, it's it's really interesting, I think, and it's, it really comes across that passion that you've got for actually really spend time, place importance on this kind of self-discovery. And it's Absolutely. completely fine. You can value and think differently about different things, but it is really important that you spend time doing this. Yeah. Um, what I always say is that the um, of several platforms in my work and the basic platform is self-awareness. And, you know, I have, I have clients, oh, I'm, I'm perfectly self-aware. You, know, you don't need to teach me about, um, hang on a minute. If 91% of how you create your reality is unconscious and you know nothing about your unconscious, how self-aware are you? Oh, <laughs> and the answer is the vast majority of us are not because we've not sat down and we don't have a, a good sense of identity because we've never done the work. We've never, as you say, we've never yeah. done the self-discovery. So I, I would say like the this idea of kind of self-reflection is a, a huge. I agree with you. It's hugely, hugely important. I know it is for me personally. Um, I've also been in the situation where, um, similar to you, I've had a breakdown. I've really struggled with depression. Went in and used services, and I would say, reflecting back, they were really useful. But at the time, it didn't feel like that. Um, and I think there's a period where we go through where we're trying to support people, trying to encourage them to do some of this kind of self-reflection. But because there's been no communication, no education around this previously, we're trying to do that education in a moment of crisis. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, yes, this doesn't always work now because it's not the best time for you to be learning. There are other things that are more important, like self-preservation. Um and it's really interesting because I would say I've really benefited from that afterwards and almost like the third kind of go round, the third season at like therapy was really good for me because I was able to have this higher level theoretical yeah. conversation about yeah. what I value and the practitioner struggled because they were like, we need to do some tasks. And I'm like, I've done that. <laughs> I need this discussion yes, about what I place value on. And I think I could do that because I'd gone through the process. Yeah. But it's trying to see and trying to encourage now all of that to happen before exactly. you have finished your problem. Exactly. And, that, and that's really why difficult. one of the things I'm looking at doing, actually, probably in the new year, because everything that's happening at the moment, <laughs> is actually setting up a petition to lobby government to get mental wellness education, emotional intelligence, whatever you like to call it, mm actually put on the school curriculum and making a GCSE in that compulsory. Because imagine, imagine if a, a, um, a cadre of school kids left with that. And, and the, th the point about that is, if you're actually learning about mental wellness, then you talk about it. It's something that you're all sat there together, you're all there, you'll talk about it before it ever becomes a problem. And so it opens up the conversation and it means that people will go, oh, hang on a minute, I'm getting really stressed here, I'm getting really anxious, what the hell's going on, I'll talk to my mate, oh, okay, do you see what I mean? And you have that conversation naturally, then it doesn't descend into the toxic loop of thinking that most people then struggle with. And you're right, dealing with that is a whole different ball game. It but actually, we, should, we shouldn't be getting there in the first place. And it's such a hard, it's such a hard, um, it's such a hard place to start from, I think, because there are still so many people that are um, yet to be directly affected by by yeah. mental health to a, a crisis level. Yeah. Um, and I, I do 
think it's still it's still one of those not necessarily health but it's one of those topics that until you've been involved in the crisis it doesn't have to be you but someone around you there is kind of a lack of investment in that and I know there are definitely other topics that I have a lack of investment in that I really should be more interested in and kind of pay more attention to but because I don't feel that I've been directly affected by them I don't have that buy-in so this isn't just a mental health thing but I do think it's that shouldn't mean that oh okay you've not been affected so you don't need to worry about it it is about that forward planning isn't it it's about thinking about it before it happens it's um we talk about a lot of uh kind of physical health related stuff like exercise like food as a preventative um (laughs) why don't we do the same well you know it's okay to break your leg but it's not okay to have stress or or depression it's balmy but that's the culture that we've sort of you know been brought up in really And I think it, this comes back to the, to the entrepreneurial thing is, yeah. you know, when, you, when you've got a grasp, a good grasp of who you are, you've got proper self-awareness and you know what, you know, is fulfilling for you. You know what a good life for you is. Well, if you can make a living out of that, that's amazing. Mm. But that's not, what's unfortunately, what the education system is currently teaching. Mm. Well, and I, I would suggest that, going to university as is as unimportant today as it probably was 30 40 years ago it's not actually necessarily what our kids should be doing it doesn't doesn't you know I, i'm probably being a bit provocative here but you know it, the assumption is everybody's got to go to university why you know why, why does somebody who's good with their hands um who wants to be a cabinet maker or a plumber why are they going to university it's crazy and walking away with 50 grand's worth of debt as well anyway you've answered your own question there at the end (laughs) (laughs) that's why um yeah i i think education wise there's i i feel like i was in that big jump when we had new labor and the the 50 percent should be going to uni and i remember i remember i think i was at uni i think uh 09 to 20 no I wasn't that's when I finished I think I was 06 to 09 and I won't tell you when I was (laughs) (laughs) before then it's fine yeah yeah just a few years yeah um and I remember then thinking there are some people here that are literally here to be here yeah um and I'm sure as probably in previous generations there are also people that were quite clearly from fairly well-off families that were there just because we do this we go to I couldn't care less about this subject but we go to university so they're there um and I think I feel like that has started to change literally in the last year or two where there has been a bit more of a push for um the like apprenticeships programs and things like that where that started to grow um but I'm very cautious and like I say in the last year maybe two I feel like that started to change um so we are possibly starting to see that but again I I wouldn't say that's any reflection on the attention given to health that's more of certain kind of careers and areas of of working I, I tell you the interesting thing though is if you talk to an HR director human resources director of a big company Mm. what they want is emotional intelligence and creative intelligence backed up by academic intelligence they're saying we don't need a degree what we want is people who are emotionally intelligent can work with people and we need you know innovative creative approaches and again the education system doesn't teach that no, no. i think so, uh... so i think companies are kind of waking up to what is necessary so hopefully they will lead mm. where you know the actual demand for the education people have in jobs but as you say the trouble is these things take years to change yeah it's a big <clears throat> shift and i think even in um kind of earlier you mentioned your experience in a workplace being around the time that you were struggling as well and i think i would say uh I would say that um, 
having had a similar experience um, overlaps rather than similar um of being in a workplace and thinking there isn't necessarily that support and um you i would say still in some places it is more so that you are reliant on having one or two people that are really passionate and proactive in approaching you and offering that support i don't know if it's because the workplace is set up for that um but be interested to hear do you think kind of workplaces would be different now to your experience in the past um <laughs> yes and no is the answer to that one uh, you know there are a lot of um big corporates who who get it and funnily enough the banks uh who you <laughs> you kind of think you know the bank <laughs> money side of the business is the worst of the lot but actually a lot of them are really caring for their employees. They're, they're actually doing things in mental health that a lot of other companies aren't. Mm. The, the, the difficult thing is actually with, with smaller companies where it's all about cash flow, it's all about you know keeping the business alive, mental health in those situations is, is on the back burner. It's only when the, you know, there's a crisis that something gets dealt with. Um, so it's it's a mixture, I think, if I'm honest, Mike. Yeah. I think more, but, but again, what tends to happen is the big corporates tend to lead these things, and it falls mm. down. So, um, and and then you've got, as I say, there is no job for life. So that whole shift is, well, and this is this is one of the the difficult things for the youngsters that we've no idea what jobs are actually going to be needed in 20 years' time. And there are all sorts of research and stats that suggest that it, I'm being silly if I even try and get the numbers, but it's surprisingly something like 30 job, 30 percent of jobs in 20 years time haven't even been heard of yet. It's that sort of thing. So mm. how do you recruit for that now? How do you train for that now? And the answer is we don't know. Yeah, and I suppose I guess that is almost another reason to do that kind of um self-awareness self-education because that's going to be your transferable skills yeah, moving forward absolutely right yeah and the other thing by the way on that that the um the difficult thing with the self-esteem which is to say if ever there was a magic bullet that's it the difficult thing is we've been brought up to worry about what people think about us and of course yes you know um social media has made that much 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 worse and it's one of the it's one of the difficult things you know even this is well like i say 30 years ago i remember sitting in meetings you know surrounded by um six ten other people and because i because i didn't like myself because i wasn't comfortable who, with who i was i was constantly right i i need to say something i've got to be part of the meeting uh, what am i going to say uh, right if i'm going to ask a question i've got to word it properly so i'd spend minutes sort of working out what question i wanted to ask and of course by the time i was ready to ask it the topic had moved on that whole mind chatter in the background completely pointless and it's because i was not comfortable with who i was um and what we therefore tend to do and this is i, I think what I find is if I'm doing workshops or seminars and things, and the nice thing is when you've got two or 300 people in front of you, you can actually watch their faces to see what happens as they get the reaction to what you're saying. Um, and most of us have got a mask on, and I realised I was doing that. Uh, you know, I'd shut the front door in the morning, already got a mask on, uh, so that people couldn't see how useless, worthless and hopeless I was. I got a suit of armor on to protect myself, <clears throat> excuse me, and then I'd have a hologram up um, to, you know, present the sort of person that I wanted everybody to think I was. You know, and that's at the end of the day, and I hate to say it, but that's what most of us are doing. We've got the mask on, we've got the hologram up, we're and the point is what we're actually pretending we're actually pretending to be somebody else and really simple question can you be happy being somebody else and the answer is no so finding out who you are gathering the self-awareness doing the self-discovery then you're on the path to actually stand a chance about feeling comfortable with who you are 
And the other question I always ask people is, or, or at least, yeah, is give me one good reason why you shouldn't be comfortable with who you are. And actually, if you think about that, you know, I give people in, in, in a in a seminar, right, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, a minute, have a thing. Give me, give me, I'm challenging you. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't be comfortable with who you are. And actually, do you know, there isn't one. We can come up with all sorts of things, but they don't actually stand up. Um, and the key is, is like I say, is, is worrying about what other people think about us. And at the end of the day, how many people in your life actually matter? And if you and generally the answer to that question, by the way, shortcutting it slightly for most people is less than 10. Yeah. And yet we worry about everybody on what they think about it. The vast majority of people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean to say you're rude or aggressive or it just means you don't really care what other people think because they don't matter. Mm. And it's this sort of work, this self-discovery work that really transforms mental health. Um, but it's work that virtually nobody does because, you know, we have to wait until it gets really bad. And, you know, we then go and see a therapist. And as you say, you do all the work about analysing what's actually going on when actually you didn't need to be there in the first place. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of work to go into the, um, like you say, your values and, and where you place value on thing. And like it might be that... Um, we, I mean, most people do. We worry about um, what Dave at work thinks about us, or or Sue next door, or whoever. And it's like okay, um, and you that that's fine. Um, but we sometimes, um, yeah, overvalue that. It's like okay, you place value on that. That's completely okay. But is that your is that the number one thing you want to be placing value on? Actually, is that quite a long way down? Mm-hmm. um and yeah it's sometimes that it's either got to be like it's i place value on that yes or no it's like you, you can place value on it but just maybe where is it in your priorities because mm-hmm. i think a lot of the time people end up saying yes and that, that means automatically that it's at the top of their priority and it's like it doesn't need to be there but absolutely well, it, one of the things I guide my clients through is actually working out what their top 10 values are. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's really interesting. And then what I do is that once they've worked that out, I get them to score those values out of 10, 1 out of 10, 9 mm. out of 10, as to how much they're honouring those values in their life, at work and at home. And it, it, it it's revelational for some people, literally, because... What they find is quite often the thing that is really, really important to them doesn't exist in one part of their life. And, they, you know, they come up with a score of like two. And yet it's the most important thing in their life. I'm you know, exaggerating yeah. to make the point. But, you know, I could give you stories and now is probably not the right time of clients who literally finding out what their number one value has completely transformed their life. Yeah. Literally one word. But mm. they didn't know. Mm. Um, and the other, when, when it comes to relationships, the people you do get on with tend to have very similar values to you. In other words, they, the things they regard as important to them in their life are similar to what you regard as important to in yours. Kind of useful to know. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point in it, just in itself, though, because the amount of times I, I hear as part of conversations about close friends or people in a, a, a coupled relationship that oh you're very different to each other and it's like well because you're looking at superficial things often yeah. it's like you're not looking at the things that we do have in in common which as you say are maybe those core values or the yeah. things that we place value on are these are the things that we have in common these are the things that link us yes we like different activities or we have different yeah, friendship yeah. groups or we do different careers or we one of us is a morning person and the other one's an evening person those are the differences you're talking about but actually what we place value on we have a lot of similarities i think exactly. that's a really interesting point and um, actually in reverse to that quite hmm. often because i do occasionally see the other part of a couple yeah 
because my client is struggling in their relationship and then it becomes extremely relevant to get the you know the partner in mm. and when the partner does the values it's so often they go oh my god we value completely different things but they oh, didn't know yeah. that yeah yeah communication it explains, it explains so much about why they don't get on mm. and that can be a slightly cruel awakening for some yeah but actually you know if that's genuinely the situation they're better off breaking up yeah well like you say it's it's having that communication isn't it and understanding where the other person stands so to speak yeah. um and and then you can make an informed decision on that exactly. is that is that a deal breaker in your relationship is it not is it something you can communicate your way through um one thing i think I'm kind of cautious of our timing but also there's a, a couple of things we've um we've kind of touched on but not really spoken about and that is um a little bit more about the, the work that you're doing um some of the programs and activities that you're involved with as well just to hear a little bit more about those mark okay um yeah i i said earlier i don't really see myself as a therapist i say see myself actually as a mental wellness coach so what I'm moving into, I'm moving away from the one-to-one. -one. I think I'll always do the one-to-one -one because, you know, it makes a massive difference in individuals' lives. Mm. But the the mental wellness education side of things, as I say, I realise that's what I've actually been doing for 20 years. I've been yeah. teaching people how their mind works and then coaching them through to find out what that means for them in their own personal situation. Well, actually, all of that can be done, A, in workshops. So, if it wasn't for the lockdown, I would be doing more workshops. But of course, you can only get six people together from different households at the moment. So that's a bit limited. But also, um, I'm about to launch an app. Um, so it takes the experience and the learning I've had over the last 20 years um, and puts it into an app. So there's effectively 15 to 20 minutes of content a day for about uh, 60 days. Mm. And it just guides through people through the program that I normally take my one-to-one -one clients through. It's not the same as one-to-one, -one, but what it does do, it obviously it enables me to reach a lot more people. Um, and one of the things I'm trying very hard to do locally is actually get into schools. Um, I did try for about two years, and it wasn't that the schools weren't interested because they knew there was you know, significant mental health problems. They just didn't have the, the spare capacity, the mindset, uh, not just the money that wasn't for some that wasn't the issue yeah. they just didn't have this space to actually set something up that was outside the normal curriculum mm. so um you know an app um a youngster particularly but actually even somebody my you know my age perfectly capable of filling forms out on an app and watching videos and stuff yeah and it it's it's like I say, mental wellness education is not rocket science. It's not deep Freudian psychology. It's actually stuff that we should have all been taught through when we were younger. So the app I'm, I'm you know, looking to launch um, in, a, in a month or two. I'm also looking at setting up a, an online community around mental wellness and changing the way we live. Something that ha hasn't really come out and in fact, I'm two thirds of the way through my second book and I'm always being asked, well, Mark, why when we are wealthier than we've ever been, why are we struggling so badly with mental health issues? And the actual answer is because of the way we live life. Um, you know, modern life, I I'm going to use fairly big words to make the point, but modern life, I think, is actually very toxic. It's very pressured. It's very stressful. It's uncertain. It's loud. Uh, it's disconnected. And we haven't talked about community either. Mm. You know, community is something that has been dropping away within Western society for years. And actually being with people and, and communication with others, connection with others, believe it or not, physically is as important for our health uh, almost as food and water. You know, being with people, having relationships with people is critically important to our physical as well as our mental wellness. But and, and partly because of social media, that's been collapsing left, right and centre. I think one of the things, the good things, and I think there are many good things that potentially can come out of the virus and the lockdown. 
One of them is, we, you know, we've started to connect with people again. A lot, all the volunteering, the looking after the elderly that is happening locally, you know, in our, in our society, in our communities. It's magnificent what's changed in just two, three, four months. And what I pray is that, you know, those of us who've recognised that's what is actually happening, we've been forced to slow our life down mm. um, and we've been forced to some degree to, you know, even if, <laughs> even if it's at the end of Zoom sometimes, <laughs> we've been forced to some degree to reignite relationships that were drifting away. Uh, but also, you know, the volunteering is massive locally. Um, you know, we're all... Most of us, our households, were members of groups that are sort of not so much now, but certainly two or three months ago, were doing shopping for other people and so on. These are things that were quite normal 40, 50 years ago. Um, but the way modern life has gone, we've sort of, that's all dropped out. Um, and I think hopefully people will recognise that. People will recognise that community and connections is important and also recognise that slowing our life down taking more time out, um, you know, whether it's cooking from scratch, whether it's going for a walk, it's doing yoga, whatever it is. These things are massively important in how we live life. Uh, and if we're not doing them, that's why we've got mental health problems. So much of it is because we're not living life in a way that makes us happy. I think so, it's really... No, 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 so, <laughs> I think it, that's what I find. It's... That's part of why I, I love the podcast is when you get you get to moments where people will go for it. Yeah. And it's like that because you get that real insight into into what people think. And there's, I, I would say there's often a lot of overlaps with with what different people say. But sometimes you get things that are different. And that's the best bit, because it's yeah. like if everyone thinks and does the same thing, nothing ever changes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm a big believer, not that you said anything I would disagree with, but I'm a big believer in let's say stuff. And, and work out whether we agree or we disagree because that's how you form your own opinion that's how you form Absolutely. does it does it reaffirm actually yes I do, I do really think that or does it make you question and I think those are really important yeah. things to to have well and I, if, I, I often say I, I've learned from every single one of my clients my clients teach me mm. uh, literally I'm not, and I'm not kidding I'm open to learning from them. And in fact, my first book was actually dedicated for that reason to my clients, because mm. without them, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the knowledge and the understanding I've got that I now want to get out there to lots more people because we can learn from everybody. Yeah. And I think there, there's, there's so much to be learned from ju just that, that what, essentially what we started off with was the having these conversations um, and, and, at the moment, unfortunately, it is essentially from these conversations that we are building up our own knowledge and our own education because we're not starting off with anything. Yeah. Um, and I, I, do, I still find it both interesting and annoying that we have so many of these conversations where it's like you're essentially telling me that you are talking to adults and you're giving them the education they should have had when they were five. Uh, it sounds, <laughs> sounds crazy, doesn't it? it? Does. No, like, can you imagine introducing to an adult now you probably should have been told this when you were at school but there's this thing called math and it's one of the things yeah, it gives us a massive opportunity Mike if we can actually which is why you know in, a, in um, probably three or four months time I will actually set this a petition up as I say to petition government to get mental wellness education included on school curriculum it, because it could it, it, it could be the one thing that fundamentally shifts and it isn't just mental health it'll shift it'll shift being happy at work because suddenly because we've understood who we are and we don't have to hide anymore we can actually enjoy our work instead yeah. of just seeing it as a way to make money and I always think, do you remember that restaurant chain? I don't know what's happened to it, actually, but um, TGI Fridays? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That, that says it all. There's a restaurant chain that's called Thank God It's Friday. What? <laughs> you know, how, how is that even, how has that become a thing? And it's because we're slaving away during the week and it gets to Friday and we can yeah. enjoy ourselves. That's crazy. <laughs> I think yeah that's really interesting and that definitely does tie into what we were talking about earlier because I think you look at other countries where that uh, not necessarily that their work 
um, careers are different. I don't know about that. But their balance between work and non-work life is so much more balanced. And I think so much more part of the conversation um, that they're aware of that. Yeah. In fact, funnily enough, I used to do business in France and Italy particularly. And the main meal of the day was actually at lunchtime, which from a digestion point of view is very good for you, by the way. But the point I want to make actually is, you know, even companies of 40, 50 employees had canteens. And I tell you what, the food was pretty damn good. That was part of the day. So, you know, colleagues were eating with each other. Uh, in, and they again they took an hour out for lunch every single day yeah that's not what we do we don't eat you know we tend to eat a sandwich at our, sat at our computer all these things you know and, and that's it's, it's a cultural thing which mm. is why one of the reasons i think why um you know it, the italians and the Span- spanish and the french yeah. their economies may not be as sound as ours but actually they they have way lower mental health problems than we do Mm. because Mm. of the way they live life they spend time doing more of the things they value yeah i think um yeah very true (laughs) (laughs) it's and how we come to this and it's i hate to say it's the it's the english-speaking countries it's the it's the it's the brits the americans to some degree the canadians the australians they tend not to have quite as big a mental health problem as we do. Uh, I think that might have something to do with the weather. I don't, I don't know. Um, but it, it is, it's literally the Anglophile countries that have the highest rates of stress, anxiety and depression. And yet with the, we're amongst the wealthiest in the world. I think a big, a big thing that we're, it feels like we're kind of touching on it is it's about that. It's, it's not necessarily about awareness. I think we're talking about, it's about education. It's about, being actively involved in um, finding support when you need it, but being proactive about not waiting until, yeah. you know what, I'm really struggling. I think I maybe need to go and get some help. Actually, yeah. while you feel okay, or maybe you're experiencing um, what we might just call a, a lower level symptom, but just a symptom of maybe a mental health um, struggle, actually that's a great time to come forward because you're not in crisis you're not um kind of in that moment of, of really struggling with a lot of different things you're, you're you're engaged you want to know a bit more and you've got the mindset and the mind space to take on board some of those learning points and put some of that stuff in place and it really that's kind of why i'd like to reposition stress, anxiety and depression away from being mental illnesses and towards being signals that, oi, your life's not working. Yeah, I think... Work out what the problem is. Talk to your mate. Yeah. And then take action. I would... I, I both agree and disagree. Okay. Um, I think... I think... It, I I think the, the kind of the depression and anxiety uh, as an illness, and to be really... As, an, as a diagnosed illness, I think is and should still be considered a, a kind of a mental health illness however i agree with that sorry yeah i yeah. think there's a big thing that you're maybe in and maybe in the language there is there are also the side of symptoms rather than the illness and there is depression kind of depression in brackets low mood um being anxious and and um yeah being anxious rather than having anxiety i would say i guess yeah. Um, those are those signs that I think you're you're kind of picking up on that. Yeah, we these are things that we all have, and to some extent we need. Yeah, um, you need to be anxious before you yeah. go into a job interview or you give a presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where again the education. We, we're saying it again. The education of what these things are, how they're affecting your mind and your body. Why do I feel sweaty or butterflies? Oh, it's because all of this stuff is happening in your body. Well, we don't know any of that because we're just told you know go outside and run around that's good for yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. as much as you need to know um and that, that um, is your system yeah. that is your system telling you that something's wrong mm. and we ignore it mm. um and you're right mike you're absolutely right it's when the whole thing has descended into the toxic you know loop of toxic thinking as i tend to call it yes mm. absolutely then stress, anxiety and depression, without a doubt, they are mental illnesses. But the point actually is, and maybe it's a, it's a language thing, if if you pay attention to the symptoms, you're right, 
and actually do something, you'll never descend into a mental health issue. Mm. And that and yeah. that's the education we need. And it's so self-empowering, Mike. It's to watch some of my clients go back into life and completely turn things around. It's I, I can't empower somebody. Um, I can hold their hand, I can teach them, I can coach them, but I can't actually do the transformation for them. And, you know, when they go out and they understand what it is they need to change in their life and they make the changes, uh, and the feedback I tend to get from clients is always six to 12 months later, and yeah, something's yeah. happened and they've looked back and gone, oh my God, I didn't even realize how much things have changed. And that's when they get back in touch because they're self-empowered. They've actually turned their life around themselves and they're now living a life that is fulfilling, you know, a, a life of purpose or, or whatever it is. Um, now that's something we could all be taught to do before we get into trouble. Yeah. And I think really interesting and good to hear from you as a, I'm going to call you an expert here, um, as an expert to, to say that actually these are, it's these people's journeys they're making them it's you're helping and you're facilitating them but it's their yeah. journeys yeah. um and so if you are kind of struggling with with a symptom or an illness there is that opportunity there is that possibility for you to make that change and it might be with people like mark or it might be on your own um but there are, there's lots of resources and support that, that people can draw from now and really interesting to hear you kind of mentioned um, mentioned the, the the books and the app that's coming as well. Um, but if people wanted to find out a bit more about um, yourself, Mark, or some of the things that we've mentioned, where would be kind of a good place for them to go to find that? Yeah, my, my website is hedgecatehead.ucate.me because um, that's what I'm doing. I'm <laughs> teaching people how their heads work. Hedgecate.me. Uh, and that's where the, the app will be launched from um, in about four, five weeks time. So what, what I would say, if somebody's interested in that, by the way, uh, go on the site and fill a form in uh, and just, you know, let us know if you're interested. And we'll, I, I mean, I'm definitely not into selling because at the end of the day, some I, I'm a fundamental believer. Somebody has got to make the decision that they want yeah. to yeah. learn. So the selling of this is quite hard because mm. of I don't want to be doing it, frankly. It's more its more a case of building the awareness that it's there. And then somebody can, as and when they feel it's right, they can tap into it. That's really good. Um, and I think probably a little bit of a, a sign, but we've spoken quite a lot about education and a very clear link there. To, <laughs> to, to, it comes out in the, in the, in the website name. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it can be, it can be really difficult with certain things to, to get the right people at the right times is is what you're really looking for and i think that's also really important for people to hear is that's the approach that you've got is that this is i'm, I'm really passionate this is a great resource that is going to help people but you've got to want it oh, you've I'm, got to really want to to be able to use it and engage and that's when it's going to be useful for you exactly exactly because you know we have to work at this stuff it's not you know we, we can't and nobody else can do it for us that's the other thing mm -hmm. only we can do the self-discovery um and there is a bit of work behind it there's no doubt but the rewards are massively worth it well thank you so much mark for, for coming on and for sharing well, absolutely your, your own experience as well as your knowledge as well it's been really interesting to hear those insights you you probably gathered i'm rather passionate about it and be honest give me a microphone and i will always talk about mental wellness always so it's a complete pleasure to be with you no it's been really good i've really enjoyed really enjoyed hearing a little bit more about what you do as well i think it's 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 really nice as always i think that the thing for me is being able to um at some stages sit back and and just listen and just hear hear that um hear that knowledge and that passion and i think there is so many people doing different things and doing really really important work and, and like you i think there's a, a real importance that we we do share those resources we do signpost to stuff because we're getting to a stage where there are quite a lot of things available for people and it's about making sure they're aware of it maybe it's not for you maybe it's exactly. being able to signpost someone else to it that you know um so you know it's really good to, to have those conversations and also know oh there's some way that you can kind of follow that up and go to but yeah thank you so much for coming on and for sharing for sharing your experience complete pleasure mike
These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.